Welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 96. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, that was a great episode last week with Kyle Clark, wasn't it? Got a lot of traction. I knew it would. Kyle Clark is just a dynamic personality, has a great following. People love him. I had friends coming out of the woodwork to tell me how much they enjoyed that episode, how much they love Kyle Clark, and how proud they were that I was able to land him on this show. And I'm inclined to agree. So just another thank you to Kyle Clark for taking some time. What a fun show. We got a new episode this week. I knew I had to follow it up strong, so I did. And I talked this week with Greg Brophy. He is a former state senator, former state representative. He worked for Congressman Ken Buck in Washington. He worked for Senator Wayne Allard here in Colorado. Just a guy with a lot of political know-how, a lot of political experience. And we talk about not only his time in the legislature... And the differences between how you do business in Colorado in terms of the government and how you do business in Washington. But we also talk about farming because Greg is from Ray, Colorado. He was a farmer and his story about how he got involved in politics is just fascinating. It's really charming, too. It's a guy who was riding his tractor. He was a professional farmer. And through almost accident, through happenstance, he ended up getting involved And he ran for office, and he showed up at the state capitol looking to make a difference. And my argument is he did. So it's a pleasure to have him in the basement. We get into it in this episode. It's great. We talk term limits. We talk how the legislature has to pass a budget. We talk bipartisanship. We talk about Republican and Democrat purity tests and how dumb and absurd they are. There's just a ton going on. So... I'm so pleased to follow up the Kyle Clark episode that was immensely popular with another super strong episode with Senator Greg Brophy. That is coming up momentarily, but first, some love for our sponsor. It's 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They provide all the web solutions that you would need if you were trying to reach people online. So whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's an email campaign... Four Degrees is the place that you need to go to reach the people that need to hear your message. They're fast, they're efficient, and they're extremely cost-effective. They've been with me since episode one, and I adore them. So check them out on the web. Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'd also encourage you to check out Deft Communications. They are the producer of the John of All Trades podcast. Check them out on the web. Deft Communications. It's deftcom.us. D-E-F-T-C-O-M. US. We offer training, content, engagement. So if you need a PR strategy, an internal communication strategy, media relations, event hosting, panel moderation, podcast tips, uh, I have worked with people on how to get their own podcast set up. We got a whole slate of services. Check us out on the web, deftcom.us. Now, this week's guest, Greg Brophy, former senator, former state representative. We also spent some time at the end of this podcast talking about the initiative he's working on now. Colorado's constitution is nuts. It's unwieldy. It's been amended more than 150 times. You compare that to the U.S. constitution, which has been amended a mere 27 times, 
and something's out of whack. So he's working on an initiative to make it harder to amend the Colorado Constitution. Let's get to this week's episode. It's fantastic. It's number 96. It's with Greg Brophy, former state senator, former state rep, former candidate for governor, currently working on Raise the Bar, and his episode starts right now. got a couple of legislators actually like 10 legislators i want to run down in the next two days they're captive now and they're bored it's it's this is an interesting time of the year because they're they have to be there all day they were there past midnight last night right and most of the time they're not doing anything they're waiting uh. on a committee you know so they'll be in the house there might be 11 or 13 members off in committee working on something and right. the other 50 some odd sitting around doing nothing <laughs> right. Is it because session wraps up ostensibly what? Tomorrow? Tomorrow night. And uh everyone waits till the last minute here, don't they? Well, that's it, human nature. I mean, the almost everybody waits till the night before the term papers due to go out and actually write the damn thing and, right. and the legislature's no different. I mean, they they have 120 days and by golly, they're going to use them all. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Do you ever miss it? I miss the camaraderie. I miss being involved in the fun, interesting stuff, and I don't miss the time sitting around listening to people yap about things. You know the the various resolutions honoring different folks, right? And, and they all deserve to be honored. It's just I have so many other things to do than sit there and listen to you know thirty five people say exactly the same thing over and over again, right? And uh, you're talking about like in a committee hearing. Well, now I'm talking about like on the floor of the okay. Senate or the floor of the House. They they honor uh, peace officers, for instance. Oh, right, and, yeah. And you know it, it it's one of those things where it probably should be better choreographed. Do the do the tribute and allow each side exactly 10 minutes to, mm. to say whatever it is that they want to say right. and let them choose their people um, that they want to showcase and, I, I and forgot get it to over ask with. You, are, are you allergic to cats? I am not allergic okay, to cats. good, because this is Finnegan, and uh, he, he may hang out while we're doing this. The, the cats will sometimes wander in and out while, while I'm recording. So sitting here with uh, Senator Brophy, Greg Brophy from Ray, Colorado, and uh, former state senator, former state rep, former candidate for governor, Formerly of the federal government, working for uh, congressional rep Ken Buck. Is that right? Yep. And uh, I got my start in politics working for U.S. Senator Wayne Allard in 2000. Right. Just like a lot of people we know, if you work sort of in politics or work around policy, you'll intersect with it's almost like the NFL with a coaching tree. Like Bill Belichick's coaching tree is talked about, or Bill Parcells's co coaching tree. Wayne, the Wayne Allard tree is really impressive. It's big. Yeah. And what was it about working for Senator Allard that fostered that kind of talent coming through there? Well, he's a good man, and he didn't want to get you and keep you. He wanted to. He wanted specifically to grab smart, talented people and build them up and give them opportunity, and then let them go out, go out and flourish. And plus, he was there eighteen years. I mean, so six in the House, twelve in the Senate, and yeah. and with that kind of an attitude, he's a good person. With that kind of an attitude about, you know, I want other people to succeed. I want to give them chances to succeed. Right. Then it just it started building upon itself. Wow. What is he doing now? He's actually a lobbyist for the American Motorcycle Association. Does he ride? Hardly at all. <laughs> 
Okay. You know, Ben Campbell was the motorcycle riding U.S. senator. Right, yeah. You know, Democrat, then turned Republican, just all around interesting Coloradan. Right. Uh, he was the motorcycle guy. Wayne Allard was just the guy that the Motorcycle Association loved because even back when he was a state senator, because Wayne started as a state senator back in the 80s in Colorado, he opposed mandatory helmet laws. Okay. Just on a freedom principle. Right, okay. And so the motorcycle guys always liked him because he always stood up for, you know, their interests. Right, out of principle, not any sort of craven self-interest. I think there's one picture of Wayne Allard on a motorcycle. That's it. <laughs> one. Okay. I I keep waiting for the photo of uh, President Obama smoking, but I've never seen one. Uh, no. Nobody does. Yeah. No, I I've heard that. But uh, never seen it. Plenty of Boehner smoking, though. Yes. And drinking his Merlot. Right. A a good friend of mine used to work for uh, Speaker Boehner. And so she's like, yep, he smoked a ton. He drank a ton of red wine. And he really cared about the shoes that you wore. Interesting. And he liked it. One particular perch at Pete's Diner. Oh, um, interesting. Just on the east side of the Capitol. He, He had his spot? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, on, at the counter. He didn't sit at one of the booths. It's a small little hole-in-the-wall right. diner for breakfast, and he would be in there a lot, I think, at 8.30 in the morning. Wow, that's funny. I was in. Uh, I was doing a call-up for one of my clients, and we were in, I think, BLT. And uh, all the heads of the Republican – the Republican heads of all the committees came in, all the House committees, and everyone was geeking out because it's like – they're like, oh, there's Doc Hastings. And uh, – and, it was the first time I'd heard it, but I've heard it since. But D.C. is like L.A. for ugly people. Yeah. So, which is really funny because these guys come in and, you know, it's a lot of old white guys in suits and everyone's geeking out like they're seeing Tom Cruise or something. But uh, that's kind of the fun of D.C. It is. And, well, you know, almost everybody that works around, especially around the Hill, you know, they they either aspire to work on the Hill or they have worked on the Hill. <laughs> right. and, and it really is. It's, it's, it's you know, the Capitol is their Hollywood and sure. the members of Congress are the stars. It's pretty great. I'm always curious how people come to get involved in public service and how they come to want to run for elected office. And I know you've told this story before, but would you share it with me? Yeah, you know, for me, it was something. I I, uh, I was out minding my own business, farming away in eastern Colorado. I had my own small farm, which I still operate today. You still operate that? Yeah. Wow. yeah well, actually, I have a guy doing stuff for me one more year here because I thought I was going to be in D.C. for two years. Okay. But right. I'm out there, you know, minding my own business, farming away. I'm I'm a uh, an up-and-comer with a professional farm management company. We managed farms for absentee owners, big farms. Um, and they're, they're still in business today, and I think they have some ungodly, like 30,000 irrigated acres that they manage. Wow. Um, some of which they own, some of which they just manage. And I was working away, and I uh, got involved with the Colorado Farm Bureau. And because I was with the Colorado Farm Bureau and, and a young guy and kind of mouthy, they uh, they got me involved. And I started participating in various discussion meet contests and, and lobby day at the Capitol. I got um, elected to be or appointed, I don't remember now, I think appointed to be the young farmer and rancher chairman for the state of Colorado, which put me on the Colorado Farm Bureau board, which brought me to the Colorado State Capitol. And I started meeting state legislators. And the previous year, they'd passed a bill that regulated the commercial application of pesticides. Okay, sure. You know, so that so like Roundup and 2,4-D and, and fertilizer when you put on crops. <clears throat> well, it roped in those of us that were in our farm management company. We weren't really professional pesticide applicators. We just happened to oversee that sort of activity for these absentee owners, not on our own account, for right. instance. Sure. So because of that, they forced us all to become licensed commercial applicators or supervisors. 
And it required, you know, a couple of days a year of continuing education training that we basically you go pay some numbskull to tell you what you already know <laughs> or take a class. And you had to get had to take all these tests. Well, yeah. I'm you know, I'm thirty years old or something like that and, and not too long out of college and good at taking tests. It wasn't a problem for me. Yeah, yeah. But some of the older guys that worked on the place, I mean, they struggled to take these take and pass these tests. I mean, some of them had to go take the test like three times wow. to, to actually pass it. And it cost cost us a lot of money. It took us a lot of time. And it didn't change Anything that we were doing didn't make anybody safer, didn't do anything to help right. anybody. What, and what, so what, what, why did that bill come about then? I mean, what, what, was the, what was the impetus for it if it didn't materially change anything? You know, the, the federal government is always clamping down on everybody's work environment. And so what happened was the, the feds started looking at pesticide application and they were trying to you know keep bad things from happening so the way you keep bad things from happening of course is you just regulate it like that actually works anyway so that's that's where it came from it was it was mostly forced on the state of colorado by the federal government didn't even know it at the time right but so i go to the capitol and I'm, i'm visiting with these state legislators who represent rural Colorado, you know, the, the San Luis Valley, Northeast Colorado. And I'm saying, you know, this bill that you guys passed last year, I think it was Senate Bill 96 or something like that. Right. It really, it crimped us. It costs us quite a bit of money, takes a lot of time. It's a terrible, terrible inconvenience to all this. And it doesn't do any good. <laughs> and they said, and, and I asked them, you know, you think you could repeal that? And honest to gosh, it was like talking to a brick wall. Really? I mean, they just, they didn't understand and they weren't interested in the problems that they had caused. They were just, you know, kind of patted me on the head and went about their business. And I'm like telling myself, gosh, you know, they just need some real live farmers at the state capitol. Somebody who actually understands this. Right. Stuff. It's a citizen legislature for God's sakes, right? And and, and the and the people that represented rural Colorado didn't act like they understood anything about <laughs> real farming. Wow. So I thought that to myself. This is nineteen ninety six. And then went back to the farm. I'm driving my tractor, thinking to myself, "Gosh, they need guys like me up there, but I don't know how to get there." Yeah. So I'm still driving my farm, or my tractor on the farm, and I'm listening to talk radio like all farmers do. And and I'm thinking, you know, I should I should be running for office someday. How am I going to do that? And I thought, well, maybe maybe I can run for county commissioner or something like that, and and then that'll give me a chance to run for sure. the state legislature. And then I can go up there and straighten those guys out. <laughs> and it didn't happen. And and you know, gosh, when you work. A hundred and some odd hours a week for six months out of the year. It's kind of hard to run for office, right? Well, it, and this, I, I just like to point out, this is a very sort of idyllic picture you're painting here. You know, the this sort of, uh, you know, this farmer driving his tractor gets affected by some bogus legislation and then gets very sort of inspired to start running. That's that. That's almost like you're making it up. You know what I mean? It, it, if you hear it in the abstract. Yeah, you go. Wow, that's that. That's like what I would hope would happen. Well, it did happen. Okay, <laughs> and and I'm sitting out there thinking to myself, I need to run, I need to run, and and nothing happened. I never. I mean, gosh, you're just so busy all summer long, and and you don't have time to go to the meetings you have to go to to run for office, and and to, you know put the time in to go knocking on doors and talking to people. And, right. And then all of a sudden, but, I was... B- before you get there, I just I, I want to touch on farming a little bit because I've, I've had a couple of people from the ag community. What is something people don't know about farming that they should know? Or what is a misconception about farming, like uh, about the actual work that you do? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a great way to live. And occasionally, it's hard to make a living doing it. Okay. Like right now. I mean, prices are low. It's sure. hard to make money farming. Okay. But it's still 
a great way to live. Even with the the hundred hour work weeks and all that, I mean, it it, it sounds like you're describing a lifestyle, not just a job. It, well, it was a lifestyle, and we homeschooled in no small part because I didn't have any time to do stuff with the family in the summer. Sure. So we could do more family stuff in the winter. Oh, that and, makes and, sense. Okay. And it's always harder working for somebody else than managing just your own farm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because of the, you know, there's, when you're working for somebody else, managing somebody else's farm, you know, there's expected efficiencies and, you know, they have to make a profit too, or none of this works. Yeah. So it, it, it probably, it's, it's probably the worst possible scenario to be trying to run your own farm and work for somebody else. Because every time you had, like in my case, every time I had six hours off, I was probably up at my farm working on something that, sure, that yeah. needed to be done up there too. And and so it just, it just, I mean, that part kind of sucked, frankly, <laughs> but right. it's fun. And, and, you know, a modern farmer is really special. Uh, they, they use technology like nobody's business. I mean, the tractors today drive themselves. Wow. They're so efficient. Uh, they're just, everything is, is all about efficiency. And while the hours are long, in most cases, the labor isn't physically demanding. Okay. Right? So you don't have um, the back-breaking kind of labor that people think about related like to farming. Like baling hay. And that right, like it used to be. Because now almost, I mean, hardly, if people are putting up the little bales that you can handle by hand, they're doing it specifically to sell, you know, 12 at a time to people that have a horse on the front range or something like okay. that, you know, yeah. for a hobby. You know, bales these days, bales of hay are, are, are big round things that weigh 1,500 pounds a piece that you have to have equipment to pick up or a massive four by four by eight foot okay. square bales that weigh 1,800 pounds you have to pick up with a tractor. Okay. So what you're describing, it's time intensive, but not, not super labor intensive, right? right? It, okay. And then the hours, you know, um, sure. because again, you know, fewer people are, are involved. They're running bigger equipment, but when it rains or something like that, you still have to get your work done on a timely manner. Okay. So they will end up running. I mean, they'll actually end up running 24 hours a day if they have to, to catch up. Yikes. I, I'm always just curious about, uh, about farming because we're so disconnected from where our food comes from. Yes. That I love shedding a little more light on it. It's, it's amazing. You know, we have uh, wonderful hog farms in the area. And I don't know how people know this, but you, you can now go to a, one of the finer restaurants in, in the Denver area, and we have a bunch of them here, and order a, a pork chop cooked medium. Which, oh, wow. You know, 40 years ago, you couldn't eat pork cooked medium because yeah. you probably would have gotten a pesticide or a, a parasite from it. Yeah. And now, because the hogs are grown in a much cleaner indoor environment, they're not out in the dirt where they pick up parasites that they can transfer to humans, huh. uh, it's cleaner, and you can actually you know, then because of that, get a, you know, pork chop cooked medium and have a really nice <laughs> piece of meat instead of a piece of shoe leather like we used to have to eat. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I, I'd never... But most, yeah, most people are so disconnected from agriculture, they don't realize that. Yeah. I never knew the why. I just knew, you know, you, you wouldn't order pork medium. You can now. Yeah. It's perfectly right. safe. All right. Good to know. And it tastes good. Yeah. Have you had that? What is the difference? I mean, is it just juicier and yeah, it's just juicier and tender and not as not as dry and tough. I mean, because that's the way nice. pork chops used to be. They used to have to cook them, you know, to 180 degrees and <laughs> right, and uh, they were dry and tough. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a good point. So, getting back to you're trying to figure out a path to run for office, and how did that unfold then? 
Yeah, it, it was it was it was an accident. I was um, uh, involved with Republican politics, so while I I didn't have time to do you know a lot of campaigning, I would still go to the Republican County Assembly, and um, at that. It was in April, and, and it's always held at the Lutheran Church in Ray. And there was this guy who I had met through my Farm Bureau stuff, because again, we did some Farm Bureau things in the winter that took us, you know, away from the farm and, and met political types. And I met this uh, this guy named Lewis Frank was working for Wayne Allard at the time, and, and Lewis announced at the Republican Assembly in Yuma County that he this was be his last time representing Wayne Allard out there. And so, I, you know, after he spoke, I went to the back of the room to talk to him because I like the guy. He's a friend. Sure. And I said, so, Lewis, what are you going to do? And he said, oh, you want to go work for the state of Colorado and the Soil Conservation Dep- Department. And and said, you know, Greg, they asked me to think of someone who could take my place on the senator's staff. And, you know, you were the first person to, to come to mind. Are you interested in doing this? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Maybe I am. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <clears throat> this was in April of 2000. So I went back and, and uh, visited with my wife about it. And we, she said, well. Why not? We've been doing the same thing for 10 years. Maybe it's time for a change. So I interviewed with the state director, and they offered me a position. I said, guys, I, I can't walk away from the farm in the middle of summer. Can you hold the position for me until September? Yeah. And they said yes. And so I uh, started working for Wayne Allard in September of 2000, and that was when – I realized, of course, after a few months with Wayne, that this is a platform from which you can run for sure. state legislature. Did you experience any culture shock going from working on the farm to working in politics? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> it was a huge change. <laughs> I mean, because I went from, well, you know, for instance, taking a shower at the end of the day. <laughs> right. To what, you know, to clean all the grime off to taking a shower and getting dressed before you go to work, <laughs> uh, which, you know, was totally backwards. Yeah, kind of, kind of like it's not something you would think of, but that's an important distinction. Oh, it's huge. And, and then, you know, I would, I used to drive almost 45,000 miles a year in a pickup on almost exclusively on gravel roads. Right. And so I'm out in the middle of nowhere all by myself and, you know, you don't see anybody. I mean, you're just completely isolated yeah. the whole time to driving about 45,000 miles a year in a car always around people. Wow. And so, you know, you had to, you know, everything was just different. Sure. Always on, always talking to people. Um, It was completely different. Yeah. How did you adjust? Was it hard? I don't think it was hard. I just, you know, you just do it. Yeah, you just figure it out. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, anytime you start a new job, and this is what I tell people because I've then I've, you know, all the road through that's my career. I hire people to, to do these kinds of jobs. Yeah. And I tell them, look, you're going to be bored your first two or three months because it just takes a while to get completely wound up to speed. So be patient. After half a dozen months, you're going to be so crazy busy that you won't realize that the first couple of months were, were frankly kind of boring. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so it, it, that's, I remember that. I remember feeling like I didn't have anything to do. Gosh, for the first time ever. The first time I had a weekend off in the summer. Right. Was, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> yeah. You know what I did? I took up cycling again. Oh, okay. That's when I got back into cycling. Was You're like, I, I got some time. Started working in policy. Yeah, I had time. I mean, you know, it just, and, and I did a lot of, 
you know, when you're working for in politics, there's a ton of evening things. Yeah. Um, so I was doing a lot of evening things, which would afford me a little, you know, my, maybe I didn't have to get to work until, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, give me a little time to ride in the morning. Sure. Or uh, maybe you could take a long lunch break because you were going to be out till 10 o'clock that night yeah. doing a, a dinner somewhere. Right. But yeah, you'd, you'd find some comp time in there. Right. Yeah, I get it. And okay. I still, and, and at this point, yeah, I was still operating my own farm. Um, and, and Wayne was kind, let me off office out of my house in Ray. And Where went, was his office? Like Fort Collins? He had one in Greeley at the time. Oh, and so I would okay. run up there about once a week. And how far is that? Because, it was 140 miles. Okay. Yikes. So that, I mean, that's like a two hour commute, right? Yeah. Each but way. I, I get up, you know, I'd get up and, and leave at, leave the house at six and be there by just a smidge after eight o'clock in the morning and, and then usually spend the night. Okay. Uh, and then try to, try to, and then I tried to make them efficient trips, tried to do something you know, in Morgan County or in Logan County yeah, on the way to you. or from. And, sure. it, and that became basically, uh, you know, that became the pattern of my life for the next 14 years. I think that's one of the underappreciated aspects of some of our rural legislators, because once you became state rep and particularly state senator, the, the amount of real estate that you actually covered was enormous, right? I mean, you right. compare that to, you know, our state senator who – was Michael Johnston, and he's got you know Green Valley Ranch and Park Hill and Stapleton. I mean, that's all within probably five or six miles of each other. Yeah, you can ride your bike across a, right. a Denver Senate district in a, in an hour or less. Yeah, exactly. Whereas for you, I mean, <laughs> you, that's you, you probably couldn't ride your bike across it in a day, right? No, no my, <laughs> well, it would be a long day. I, I actually could have ridden my bike across it in a day, but it would have been a darn long day because it it's was like a tour to France day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's you know it's 180 miles north to south, I think. Okay, or a little more than that, wow. 200 almost north to south, and and east to west was probably 120 miles. Jeez, okay. So so you're working in in politics, and then eventually somehow you end up running for state rep. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, minding my own business again, just doing my job for Wayne. Sure. And redistricting happened. So every 10 years after the census, they have to reapportion all of the state house and state senate seats and redistrict the lines, draw them up so that we have relatively equal population per house district, per senate district. Right. And once all of the machinations came to an end, the house seat in which I lived... So the House seat serving Ray, Colorado, became an open seat, a seat without an incumbent. Wow. But that didn't actually happen until third week of March in 2002. Okay. And I'd gotten word from uh, my, my buddy, Mark Hillman, uh, who was a state senator at the time from Burlington. And he said, hey, Greg, if you're interested in running for office, this might be the best time because, you know, 63 is an open seat. And so I, I actually... My wife, I talked to my wife again, who at the time was eight months pregnant wow. with our third and, and, and ultimately final child. She says, why not? And I called um, uh, the chief of staff for Wayne Allard, who, who was a guy from Yuma, Colorado. His okay. name is Mike Bennett. Oh, yeah. No, I know Mike. Mike's a great guy. He's yeah, a I love friend. Mike. And, I took uh, Mike on a frack tour when I was working at my corporate job. I took him and then Representative Gardner. Mm -hmm. And drove him around, showed him uh, a frack site, a drill site, a water disposal site, the whole nine. Yeah. And uh, Mike is the only person I've ever seen have a pork chop for breakfast. We were at the Kersey Cafe. Right on. Yeah. It That's was, living large right yeah, there. Yeah, it was pork chops and eggs. And I go, wow, I, I don't think I ordered correctly. You <laughs> didn't. Have you missed out on that one? Yeah. No, Mike's, uh, Mike's a good friend. He was, in, he was um, 
Wayne Allard's chief of staff at the time. Okay. And then he ultimately became Corey Gardner's district director, you know, to, to bring real experience to Corey's team. And, and um, I called Mike. Wayne was also in the middle of a re-election at that point. Against uh, uh, Strickland? Yeah, I guess against Tom Strickland for the second time. Yeah, the sec- that's right. And um, I uh, asked Mike. Mike says, your running won't affect our race. Your, you know, yours is all the primary. It'll be over before our race gets right. going. And, and uh, you know, good luck to you. And so I, I ran and, and uh, was a three-way race and then knocked one guy out at the assembly and beat the other guy in the primary about 65-35. And so ultimately nice. became a, a state representative then in uh, January of 2003. Wow. That's awesome. One of the things I'm curious about is state legislators don't make very much money, right? It, it's something like 30000 a year. Is that correct? Yeah. 30000 is what we made from and, – and I made 30000 a year – for 12 years in a row. <laughs> wow. That's uh, that's tough. And what I'm curious about is if you are required to be in session, session is like four months a year, right? It's right. Like January to May. I mean, you're required to be there every day. How do you... And, and you're obviously not commuting all the way back up to Ray, right? Right. So... How does that work, especially for rural legislators? I mean, do you have to get a place in Denver? I, I, I don't understand. Yes, I mean, and it, and it it varied over the years. Now we did get paid, so we got paid thirty grand salary, and then we got a per diem okay. allowance for the hundred and twenty days that we were in session. It started okay. off at ninety nine dollars a day, and then got raised, and and ultimately it was way too high. I mean. I think it's close to $180 a day now, which is ridiculously high. But when you average that wow. out over the course of the full year, it's you know it's a lot less than than yeah, that. Sure, okay. So, but you're only you're paid for it based on legislative days. Yeah. And I was renting a room from my brother-in-law, and then going back home, and then I was uh, renting a hotel room. The one of the hotels downtown gave us a great deal, a smoking deal for a little while. Sure. And then they raised that to where it was unaffordable and ultimately ended up buying a condo. I had a good year farming and had a little extra money, and I bought a condo in the Capitol Hill area. Nice. Okay. Back when you could do that. That might be a little more difficult today. Well, yeah. I mean, right now, if you're a farmer, state legislator, everything is difficult because <laughs> – I mean, so so in, in 07, commodity prices – barrels. Yeah. In 07, commodity prices started picking up, and I had a couple of good crops and, sure. and, and actually had a little extra money and, and went ahead and, and nice down payment on a condo. And it was 07, so it was a perfect time to buy. Yeah. Right before the 08 crash, people were starting to panic sell, and, and I got lucky. And okay. I, and I bought a condo you know, fairly affordably and, and uh, kept it until I ran for, for governor. So I by 07 so that was uh what you know my fourth or fifth session i think my fifth session yeah i had my own place up on cap hill and that was that was like a godsend cuz then i could leave most of my clothes yeah. up here and not have to be like a cuz it's like a college kid actually being a state legislator from a rural area is not dissimilar to being a you know a one semester college kid really? you you move all your crap to college in january <laughs> you know all your clothes and you know in my case a bike and maybe a bed or whatever you have to bring up <laughs> yeah like a tv yeah. And, yeah and you move all that stuff up on uh, you know, at the start of the session, and you move it all back at the end of the session. It's just exactly <laughs> like being a college kid moving into and out of a dorm. And we finally set that aside in '07, the fall of '07. So for '08, I had okay. my own place, and we were able then to keep our stuff up here, and it worked a lot better. <laughs> let me tell you. Well, talk, okay, so talk me through when you got into the the House of Representatives. 
what is it like being a freshman legislator and what is the process like of integrating yourself into the legislative process? Oh my gosh. They, they have, and it's cliche, but it's accurate. They call it drinking through a fire hose. And it really is because I hadn't worked at the Capitol like a lot. So there's not a, a point, yeah. quite a few of those people that, that are down there now have spent, you know, a session or two as aides to, to, you know, state reps or state senators or something. I had no clue. Even though I worked for Wayne Allard, I wasn't on the legislative side. I wasn't in Washington, D.C. I was on the constituent services side. Okay. So I knew very well how to help people with, you know, Social Security problems or veterans problems. Right. And, and that probably helped you campaign, too. That helped me campaign. And it helped me be a, a good legislator from that perspective, you know, the constituent services side. I mean, sure. I just – I knew – I knew I had a system for taking care of people when they had problems with state agencies. That was easy. It was the legislative side. I didn't know how to read a bill. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that you have a good idea. Remember, I told you I first got interested when these guys ran this, you know, they passed this law that had a detrimental effect on our farm and didn't do any good. I didn't realize that, you know, you have a good idea. You just want to pass it because it's clearly a good idea that there would be interests lined up against you. I'm like, come on. I, I, I mean, I'm the only one here. I think at the time there were two farmers in the Colorado State House, yeah. me and this dude named John Salazar, who then went on to become Congressman Salazar. We were the only guys who actually, when the session ended, went back and got dirt under our fingernails, actually went back to farming. So I had this idea about modernizing uh, freight rules in Colorado. So every you go down the highway, uh-huh. you see those 18-wheelers, the classic you know over-the-road semi-truck? Yeah. I had filled up. I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of trucks with corn over the years. And I knew doing it over in Nebraska, because I sometimes farmed over there, I could put more weight in trucks that had different axle configurations, three axles on the trailer instead of just two. Or the two axles on the trailer might be spread 10 feet, one inches apart. Okay. And they could they could carry more weight in Nebraska, which was more efficient for us farmers, which saved us a little tiny bit of money. And you add up a little tiny bit of money on every truck, and all of a sudden you have a difference between making money this year or not making money this year. So I said, let's just change this rule in Colorado. And I ran into a buzzsaw. Oh, yeah. And so I, I introduced the bill. I don't have any you know, help. It's just me. Right. And I barely get it out of the first committee, and then I get it killed in the second because the Colorado Department of Transportation hates my idea. Why do they hate it? Well, because it wasn't theirs. <laughs> okay, so you ran you ran into actual politics at that point. Yeah, I didn't realize that politics is about relationships and building relationships and having a team of people that sure. actually can help you advance your idea or stop somebody else's idea. Okay, so coalition building on the front end. So if I'm the Colorado Department of Transportation, you go, who was this hotshot freshman legislator thinking they're going to do this great idea without even talking to us first, right? No, I didn't even talk to him. Yeah. And and so and so they go, "No, you know what? To hell with this guy. Yeah. We're we're going to kill it." And that's the way all the bureaucrats are, by the way. It doesn't matter if it's Department of Transportation, Department of Revenue, uh Division of Wildlife, they're all that way. They they look at they, in my opinion, they look at legislators and they're like, "Look, these numbskulls are going to be here for 4 years or 6 years right. or 8 years, and then they're going to be gone." And besides that, they're going to, you know, whatever the bobble is that they're looking at today, they're going to forget about it within 2 months and we're still going to mm-hmm. be here. So they unless it's their idea, they generally poo-poo it and Okay. Away we go. Is is there a way to circumvent that where, like, if, if – I mean, what happened to your idea? Did you eventually circle back with them and say, hey, here's why I think this is a good idea. Can we work on something together? I, I, I reintroduced it again, and it died again, <laughs> and then uh, 
But I mean, but it you... got the attention of people in the affected industries, and they're like, "Wait a second, this guy's onto something here." Okay, you know. And then the Republicans lost control of the legislature, and a Democrat actually passed my bill <laughs> six years later. Wow, who was and, that? Uh, I don't even remember. It might have been. Uh, I don't remember. Huh. And and then a couple of years after that, Jerry Sonnenberg and I came in and cleaned cleaned it all back up and expanded it and, and okay. gave us the the modern law that we have now, which is you know why you will see. Four axles on a trailer in okay. Colorado hauling extra weight and taking up less space on our highways. Interesting. And so, I mean, that's that's a bill you're very interested in because you knew a lot about it. When it comes to other issues, you know, how do you get up to speed on, on things you're not as familiar with? Say, I don't know, urban housing density or, yeah. you know, whatever, right? You have to find people that you like and trust to develop a relationship with them. Okay. When there's no pressure. And then you can ask them questions. And even if right. you don't agree with their answer, you know they're going to give you a straight answer. So, for instance, I had you know some of the things that just make you roll your eyes in the back of the head are, are stuff related to social services. Okay. You know, when once once a family ends up in social services, trust me, you don't want anything to – I mean, the, the, the details of it will curl your toes. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. We have to – but this is, this is life. I mean, this happens right. with real-life people. Well, I had two or three directors of social services in the various counties out in eastern Colorado that I knew, I liked, and I trusted. Mm -hmm. And so when something would come up related to social services, I would just call two or three of those guys and, and ask them these, these questions. And I don't know why I kind of fell into that, I think, mostly by accident. I now tell people to go out and find folks like that. Sure. I kind of fell into it by accident. Same thing with you know, with um, education. I had superintendents that I trusted. And the rest of the time, you just have to, you know, read, 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 and show up at uh, at committee hearings and pay attention and take notes. Okay, it's like studying all the time. <laughs> okay, so I mean, it, it's basically like you're signing up to do homework. You are signing up to do homework, <laughs> okay. and and the big stuff. And, and so, and and most people when they go in the legislature are advised to the extent that anybody does this anymore. Find one or two areas that you want to become a subject matter expert in. You've probably heard that yourself. Charlie. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And whatever it is, I mean, you're gonna, you know, something you, you're interested in. My case, I, you know, it was cycling and guns, um, okay. and then of course agriculture because agriculture is you know my deal and that's just what I love. And then because education is such a big deal to so many people in Colorado, I felt like I had to really tune into that to the extent that I could. Okay. And even though I never sat on the education committee. So if agriculture and cycling and guns are your major, yeah. education might be your minor? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if we're continuing this college analogy, right? Yeah. And that's it's probably right. It's too many majors, but I had 12 years. Oh, yeah, sure. It wasn't like I was only there for four. <laughs> right. Okay. So one thing I'm curious about is you got to find people that you trust. You also have... I imagine other legislators, other interested parties, Department of Transportation, Department of Public Works, whoever, and lobbyists all coming at you all the time. What's your take on the role of lobbyists? Oh, they're absolutely critical. I mean, you know, people complain about lobbyists all the time, and I, I like to hold out uh, the lobbyists for the Colorado Farm Bureau. So this person's up here mm -hmm. watching out for the interests of farmers who are working 100 hours a week right. trying to grow crops or take care of livestock. And the legislature will affect them, and you need to have somebody there who watches out for your interests. It's cool to hear you say that because you come from the other side. I've had a lobbyist on this show, and she, one of her clients was the Early Childhood Education Association of Colorado. She's representing the interests of preschools. 
So everyone has a lobbyist, and everyone needs a lobbyist. Yeah, there's, there's hundreds of them. Yeah, representing all manner of, of everything from farms to preschools to the traditional medical, oil and gas, uh, environmental, whatever. Cycling. Right? Yeah. Guns. Sure. I mean, every every interest that ha- that gets affected has a lobbyist that's at least a volunteer lobbyist, somebody who just loves right. the subject and, and maybe is retired. And has the you know the bug for politics and just wants to go down there and and they might only follow three or four bills a year out of six hundred or seven hundred right. but they follow them intensely and yep. let people who are affected by them know what's going on so that's what lobby I mean most people think of you know like um, Jack Abramoff or something yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> somebody paying off legislators and all of that nonsense right. and 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 the reality is is that. You know, every interest has a lobbyist, and, and their job is, is just to look out for the interests of that, you know, whoever it is. Right. And, I mean, what what I think of it as is, as legislators, you're going to get, no matter what you are voting on, no matter what you are making a determination on, you're going to hear from both sides. And it's up to you to, to take what's useful and discard the rest and say, you know, this argument has credibility, this one doesn't, et cetera, et cetera. But you're not just going to get it from one side. Oh, no. No, and I always, you know, I would always ask. So, what's the what's your opponent saying about this? Sure, who's on the other side of this? But you know, some of them are fairly easy. You know, but some of these things do get kind of complicated. And 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 there are, you know, there are items that I would never vote for, but it's making something that otherwise would be completely unpalatable more palatable. I hate the issue generally, <laughs> right. um, but it's it's a slight improvement, so I guess I have to swallow hard and say okay to this one. Yeah, okay. That makes good sense. I'll give you an example. I mean, this is something kind of you know sexy and new. You know, a lot of people like to play fantasy football, yeah. and a handful of people like to play fantasy football for money. Right, yeah, the daily fantasy. Yeah, daily fantasy type stuff. It's possible, maybe even probable, that if the legislature didn't act that that would become an illegal activity in Colorado classified as gambling Mm, okay and therefore shut down so do I want to regulate playing daily fantasy football heck no I also don't want a legislature that is so concerned about being principally correct right that they you know take away harm Coloradans who otherwise yeah. Know, okay. Would would just be living their lives trying to play fantasy football in the fall, and and so I, you know we swallowed hard and cut a deal with the Democrats down there and 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 passed a bill that ensured that the people of Colorado would be able to do this. Hmm. And and one of the state senators, Owen Hill, got smart about this. He's like, okay, let's put a three year sunset on this regulation. That way, if the issue gets settled, we're no longer regulating the playing of fantasy football in Colorado. I okay. love that idea. Yeah. That's a good move. That, I mean, that that seems reasonable. And your your point about cutting a deal with Democrats brings me to another point that I think a lot of people are interested in. You hear a lot in the public sphere, in, in discussion, about the lack of cooperation between parties. Or you get Republicans entrenched in one position, Democrats entrenched in the other, and you end up with stalemate. Now, you've, you've heard before that uh, a do-nothing legislature is – doing good work. Can you shed some light on how like how bipartisanship actually unfolds or doesn't when you're working in the legislature? And the answer is maybe. 
Okay. Sometimes I mean, a lot to unpack in that question. Yeah, there is. So let's think about this way. I mean, and I and I say a pox on all their houses because I've you know I've kind of fallen out of love with just about everybody in politics, and at the same time, it's you know it is what it is. So I I don't think you're alone in that either. I I mean I I know I think a lot of people have that feeling. Uh, Hence Donald Trump. So the the. General Assembly here in Colorado and the Congress back in Washington, D.C. are constitutionally obligated to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to fund the function of government. Yeah, pass the now, budget, right? Yeah, we can argue over what those functions should be. We, we should, we will, we'll continue to do that. But what you can't argue over is this, is that the power of the purse was given to the legislative branch. Therefore, it's the only thing that they're constitutionally obligated to do. So here, here in Colorado which I like a lot more than D.C. because it's not as messy. Okay. Um, in Colorado, they have three bills that fund the functioning of government. One is the School Finance Act, which I said is super important and it takes up 40-some-odd percent of all of our general fund, fungible monies. The other is to fund the legislative branch, which okay. is a small bill that, that passes you know fairly easily most of the time. And then the final one is what they call the budget or the appropriations bill, the long bill in Colorado, which funds all the rest of the $27 billion that's spent, including that $27 billion, the $4.5 billion that's spent on education. If the legislature did nothing else at all, they would have to pass those three bills. Okay. So all 700 bills that were introduced this year, none of them had to pass except those three. Right. You could set everything else on fire. And right. and they had a lot of disagreement this year. When you have a, a Republican-controlled Senate, a Democrat-controlled House in Colorado, you got a recipe for gridlock, not okay. dissimilar to what D.C. is. But they do get together in a bipartisan fashion and pass these budget bills. Yeah. And so that's where you see it actually work. And you saw the same thing happen in, in fantasy football, for instance. Um, the, the Republicans did not want to do this. Sure. But, you know, some of the more mature ones realized that they don't want to be held responsible for people losing the ability to do this. And they were willing to vote for something they didn't like, even though they principally were opposed right. to it. So, so we do have a problem here in Colorado and in Washington, D.C., where a handful of legislators in both places are more concerned with the rankings that they get from groups that score their votes okay. than they are with representing the people. And, and again, I like that they want to be conservative because I'm a conservative. Sure. I just don't want them to be dogmatic. I, you know, and so in D.C., this same group won't vote for any of the appropriations bills, which have to pass. Yeah. And because they won't vote for them, the leadership of the Republican Party that everybody – seems to want to hate, has to go ask the Democrats oh, yeah. for votes to pass these bills. And Democrats aren't dumb. They're like, sure, we'll be happy to vote for these bills, but yeah, we're going to get what we want in them. Yeah, okay. So, But that strikes me as having just totally misplaced priorities because we've got a country to run here, right? And is this where the public frustration comes from, where you've got folks on – and I would argue this is not solely a conservative problem – this is also a Democrat problem where you've got people wanting to be ideologically pure instead of, you know, gritting your teeth and getting the work done that we need to get done as a country. Yeah. And, and so, for instance, we obviously need to fix a broken immigration system. Right. But there are groups that make money scaring people about the potential fix, whatever it is. It's okay. amnesty. It's amnesty. They're going to let, you know, a whole bunch of people stay, all of this stuff. Every time a bill is introduced— they get to raise money tearing the bill apart. And the fact of the matter is is that you know to, to pass a piece of legislation, it takes 218, 60, and 1. 
in Washington. Okay. 218 members of the House, yeah. 60 U.S. senators to get past the filibuster, and one president to sign it. So if you actually want a solution for the immigration problem, unless you can magically come up with 218 immigration hawks in the House, 260 in the Senate, and one president that's an immigration hawk, it's going to be some type of compromise bill. Right. Otherwise, nothing's going to pass, and we end up with the same mess that we have right now. Same thing with fixing Medicare, same thing with fixing Medicaid, same thing with fixing right. Social Security. It's probably going to require some type of compromise, which people see as a dirty word. The ideologically pure people see it as a dirty word, and therefore nothing gets done. That's your gridlock. Okay. Well, I mean, at, as a citizen who, who does not work in this, I find that immensely frustrating. Um, when, when, when you see, it's like, because working in the private sector, I have to get along because, I mean, I, I used to work for an oil and gas company. We got wells to drill here. You know, we have to come to compromise with the state uh, regulatory agency, with the neighbors in the area, with our subcontractors, with everyone. We have to get that done. And it's, it's almost like, I don't know what the mechanism is. To, to force the work to get done. And I don't know if you have a fix for that or not, but that's hard. You know, we, we need, I like Colorado a lot better because we have uh, a cleaner set of rules that, yeah, yeah you mentioned uh, to me single subject, more transparent. Yeah. So in Colorado, we have a single subject rule as part of the constitution, which right. means any piece of legislation has to deal with a single subject and can't be Christmas treed up. The exact opposite happens in DC. <laughs> they don't, pass anything that has to be passed until the last possible second, then they tuck all kinds of goodies into it to, again, to get the votes that they need to get the silly thing passed (laughs) because, you know, you have people that won't vote for it no matter what. So you have to go and get these other folks. So they they jam everything into some type of must pass legislation that won't happen in Colorado. In Colorado, we have a single subject. So every piece of legislation has to deal with a single subject. Legislators are term limited, which I'm a huge fan of because they don't get entrenched and get new blood. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. But is is there some drawback to the new blood coming in and saying, hey, let's try this? And there's no one who's been there long term to say, hey, we've tried that a bunch of times and it doesn't work. Well, the problem is you need a little bit of both. Right. Because things change. Yeah. I mean, you could have some. You could have some dumb farm kid from Eastern Colorado come in and say, "Hey, why don't we let trucks run in this state with four axles on the trailer instead of just two? Right. That's a new idea, but a, not a new idea because I mean, it, and it takes it takes some new blood to shake things up. Sure, and and it does take a certain you know. So, so we're at the point now where probably half the Colorado State Senate has you know six eight years of experience and they've seen this stuff before. Okay. Sure, yeah. So. They've seen it before. Right. And then you have your new ideas, and, and you have a handful of folks that say, well, we've we tried that before. Here's why it didn't work. And the new guy should say, well, well, well you didn't try it the right way. Yeah, here's here's a new way of thinking about it. Yeah, so I, I love the, I love our single-subject rule. Yeah, uh, that's I love good. our term limits, even in, in spite of the weaknesses. Sure. I, I like other things that we have here. Uh, we have a limitation on the number of bills that a legislator can introduce. Oh, that's good. But if you introduce it, you're guaranteed a hearing. And that doesn't happen in, in Washington, D.C. Um, yeah. It, and so I would like to see you know, some of that go on back there, single subject, rural term limits. And I'd like to see every member of the House get one bill that's guaranteed a hearing if it's a single subject. Okay. I mean, that seems like a fairly good set of rules. And, I mean, the fact that Colorado has to pass a budget and – that the budget has to be, I mean, balanced, right? It, like Colorado can't run a deficit, is right. that correct? Right. I mean, that strikes me as a good thing. It's, that is a good thing, although in D.C., where our deficit is so big right now, if you tried to solve it in one year, 
it would be an economic train wreck. Yeah, you'd, you'd collapse the entire economy. You'd have to phase it in over a decade. Sure. And we could. Yeah, but again, I mean, that that screams like something you need compromise for, right? It, it, it does. It requires a certain amount of compromise. And, and So, you know, you were talking about earlier, when you're drilling a well uh-huh. or planting a field or building widgets, you have stuff that absolutely has to get done or you don't get paid. Right. Right? Yeah. That's not the case for legislators. They don't have to get anything done to either get paid or get reelected. And in some cases, especially in modern America, you become more famous for being more obstinate (laughs) and therefore ensure your reelection in many cases because you won't do anything to get along with anybody else. Okay. That, so incentives matter. I mean, I, I, right. I love economics, and I'm a, you know like a an armchair economic uh, economist. I, I I read all I can. I read I read economics for fun, and I do think about this. And incentives matter. And so yeah. think about what the incentives are for a legislator. They don't have to get anything done to make one hundred twenty four thousand dollars a year and have a one point two million dollar office budget in the House and a three and a half or three point six million dollar office budget in the Senate. They get. You know, a staff of people to wait on them all of the time. They're, yeah, you know, like we talked about earlier, they're little Hollywood starlets <laughs> right, right, in right. their own world back there, you know, accountable to practically no one. And productivity isn't something you get paid for mm. when you're in government, <laughs> like, like you are in the private sector. If I don't grow a good crop and sell it right, right. I don't make any money. And if you don't get some oil wells drilled yeah. and get it out of the ground, you don't make any money. So you have to find a way to get this stuff done. In Washington, D.C., they don't have any of these incentives to do that. That, to me, is a very powerful message. I don't know how you institute a fix for that. I, I'm no political expert. But in, in a vacuum, it sounds spectacular. Yeah. I just don't know what the fix is either. I mean, that's what elections are supposed to do. Right. But the power of the incumbency is so great. Well, that and it, it with redistricting, you know, controlled by the party in power at the time, at least in Colorado, if you if you take an example on either side, if you look at, say, Representative Buck, who you worked for, probably not going to worry about a Democratic challenger, but more, if anything, a primary challenger. Right. Or Representative DeGette, uh here in Denver. Very safe Democratic district. She's probably not going to worry about a Republican challenger. 20 years. Exactly. And before her, Pat Schroeder. 20-some years. So, yeah. Perfectly safe. Accountable to nobody. Right. And once they're in, they never get beat. Yeah. Yeah, There's never a a realistic challenge, which is just – it's too weird when you think about it. Which is an argument for term limits because, again, the, the power of the incumbency is so great. So I was a state senator for eastern Colorado. And I was always in the news, and I had – I mean, it was my job to be all over the district all of the time. Makes it almost impossible for someone to to successfully run against me unless I do something really bad. (laughs) Right. Um, And then, you know, and and they have campaign finance limits, McCain-Feingold at the federal level. There's all these reasons why incumbents stay in power in spite of their – ineffectiveness. Well, and it's funny to me because you hear people complain about the Mitch McConnells or the Nancy Pelosi's or the Harry Reid's of the world. And when the winds of political change blow, when, you know, the country trends more Democrat or trends more Republican, it's not those folks who tend to go. 
it's more the the folks in the swing districts. Right. You know, like John Salazar paid the price when Republicans were swept into power. John Salazar lost to Scott Tipton. And, you know, that that's not an endorsement or a criticism of either guy, but it strikes me as Salazar is almost collateral damage for larger trends. He was for Ob- Obamacare. Exactly. John Salazar lost his race because of Obamacare. Nancy Pelosi is still in Congress. Yeah. Diana DeGette, still in Congress. Yeah. Um, you've got and, – and someone like Representative Salazar struck me as someone – he was referred to as what, a blue dog Democrat? Right. So kind of across the aisle, that kind of thing. And – you know, well, when, I'm telling you, if he'd voted against Obamacare, he'd still be in Congress. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's what I think. I mean, no one knows. You don't run the <laughs> yeah, experiment in a. You know, there's no alternative universe to run this experiment in. <laughs> right. I just think that that's what cost him the election in 2010. Okay, fascinating. Okay, so now that you're out, uh, one of the things that you're working on right now, and I want to make sure we touch on this, and uh, I don't want to keep you too long here, but uh, you're working on something called Raise the Bar. Can you give us sort of a brief rundown of what that is, what problem it's designed to solve, and why it would be effective? Well, Raise the Bar is a, is a citizen-initiated ballot question that, that we're going to get to vote on this fall. The problem is the Colorado Constitution has been amended over 150 times right. in the last 140 years, and the federal Constitution has only been amended 27 times. And, and we're, I mean, we're on – this is audio here, so you can't see it, but you have, you have a copy of the U.S. Constitution, and it's pretty thin. You know, right. it's, it's like 27 pages. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got, you've got a, the Colorado Constitution, which looks like a young adult novel. It's a tome. It's you a know? big, thick book. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it looks like, uh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, yeah. or something. But, uh, yeah, it's big. And it's because, you know, the, it's, it's really, really hard to amend the federal constitution. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to get two-thirds of the Senate and House to pass something, three-fourths of the state legislatures to, to uh, ratify it. Well, Colorado constitution is really easy to amend, and it's been amended 150 times, where of all of the states, all 50 states in the union, uh, our constitution is under amendment uh, the third most of wow. all of the 50 states. So we're one of the easiest states in the nation to amend the Constitution. I just think it should be a little bit harder sure. to clutter up the Constitution. So we're running a, a, a measure that doesn't make it anywhere near as hard as the federal government, but to, it says if you want to amend the Constitution, you have to go out to eastern Colorado, clear down to the uh, southern part of Colorado over the western slope and get people to sign the petitions to put the question on the ballot. And then if you get it on the ballot, you have to have more than 50 percent. You have to have 55 percent okay. of the vote to pass. And it's, and it's just to keep from cluttering our Constitution. And we want to send a clear signal look to citizen activists and special interest groups. If you want to do an in run around the legislature in Colorado, you can yeah, just that's make sure that it's statutory. And that it's not a constitutional measure because, the, you know, think about the difference between if you put it in the Constitution, you're stuck with it for a minimum of two years. Okay. If you change statute and it's in some, it has unintended consequences that you didn't even foresee, you can actually have the governor call a special session of the legislature and fix it within weeks. Okay. So you can fix a real hiccup, but you can also do an end run around an obstinate legislature. So, sure. you know, that's the better approach. And that's what we're trying to do with raise the bar, make it harder to clutter the Constitution. Isn't there isn't there something like in the in the Constitution, something about like bear traps or like <laughs> there is a there's a there's a ban on leg hold traps. Okay, uh, believe it or not, uh, you know it's 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 being ignored, but there is a ban on 
the son or daughter of a garbage collector for the city of Ray getting a college scholarship. <laughs> under it's an ethics and government ban, which oh. which says if, that if you're a um, an elected official or an employee of government in Colorado, right. neither you nor any member of your family can and it can accept a gift valued at greater than fifty five bucks. Oh, is this forty one? Yeah. Okay. And and the plain letter language would keep the son or daughter of you know a, a municipal garbage collector from getting a college scholarship because that constitutes a gift. Yeah, okay. Oh jeez. And and it's just ridiculous. That's insanity. It is insanity and it shouldn't be in the constitution. It should be statutory. Right. So that that type of thing could be fixed and not ignored because when you ignore stuff, you empower people to ignore more. Yeah, other important things. Yes. Yeah, okay. So that's that's another one and then obviously there's the, you know, the some of the big ones like, you know, an amendment that says you can't spend money and another amendment that says you must spend money. <laughs> right. Uh yeah, I think I think I know uh I think I know what you're And I like to. the first one, but I don't like the latter. <laughs> well, sure, and they're in opposition and you end up hamstringing the legislature that is charged with passing a budget. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um ridiculous. So the increased requirement, uh, it, it's what, like 2% from every state senate district? Yeah, so to get you away from the metro area and make you go out into the country to talk with the people that are going to be affected by your constitutional right. and, change. Right, and reflect actual all of Colorado. We are asking you to get 2% of the registered voters in each of the state senate districts. We have 35. That amounts to roughly 2,000 signatures per state senate district. Okay. And there are about six state senate districts that are almost completely rural. Nice. You know, Eastern Colorado, Southern Colorado, and, and Western Slope. Okay. And then, so, and then it's 55%. If, if this were already in effect, you know, people, I, I think, might think that uh, this would be doom and gloom. We'll never pass anything ever again. But that's simply untrue, right? That's simply untrue. About half of the measures that have passed in the last 20 years have broken the 55%. Bar. Okay. I'll give you a couple examples. Sure. Uh, term limits passed with 70% support. Oh, there you go. Marijuana. Passed with 55.4% of the okay. vote, legalizing marijuana. So recreational marijuana. Recre- yeah, but, um, the, the, the medical marijuana that became the ruse that led to recreational marijuana uh, passed with only 53% of the vote. Oh, interesting. So we wouldn't have passed medical, but we would have passed recreational. Yeah, more, that's more a sign of the times than it is the subject. I mean, the, yeah. the, uh, Amendment 20, which was medical marijuana, which went in the Constitution, shouldn't be in the Constitution, passed in 2000 with 53%, I think. And, you know, right. it was... 12 years later that recreational passed with 55%. Sure, and the culture changed. That's more of an amusing quirk than anything else. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting, you know, culture changes in Colorado. There's an amendment defining what marriage is in the Colorado Constitution, um, which passed with 53% of the vote. I do not believe it would pass if it were on the ballot today. Probably not. Yeah, given given the way the culture has unfolded, Uh I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're uh, we're at about an hour, so uh, let's. Uh, it's about time we wrap up, Greg. This is the point in the show where I do plugs. So anything you want to plug, do it now. <laughs> well, I would plug raise the bar, and <clears throat> yeah, one hundred percent. That should definitely be supported, and and then I would just uh, I would plug activism. Don't just fall for the sky is falling type of arguments from the people that are trying to raise money off of you, but delve <laughs> a little deeper into these subjects. Sure. And you'll find that if you really want a solution, sometimes it's going to require a little give and a little take. Okay. Where can we find Raise the Bar on the web? It is raisethebarco.com. 
dot com. So raise the bar co dot com. And you're on Twitter, right? Oh, of course, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Senator Brophy, and okay. I'm active on Twitter. I'm uh, fairly active on Facebook, and also on LinkedIn. Cool, man. All right. Well, Senator, this was uh, this was enormously insightful. I, I appreciate you sharing the benefit of your experience. And uh, man, just uh, continued success to you in whatever you do next. Well, thank you. And let's lower the curtain here on episode 96 of the John of All Trades podcast. Thank you to Greg Brophy, former state senator, former state rep, working on Raise the Bar. Check out Raise the Bar. It's an important initiative. And you know what? I'm going to give it the John of All Trades podcast endorsement. I don't normally do that, but I am into this initiative. So check out Raise the Bar on the web. RaiseTheBarCO.com and uh, see what it's all about. Learn more about it. I think once you get to know it, you'll see that this is an important issue for Colorado. John of All Trades podcast is on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Pinterest, all under the same handle. So go to those platforms and type in J-O-A-T pod. We're also on iTunes. And on Stitcher, if you happen to be listening to us on either of those platforms, hey, take a minute. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, subscribe. You get all new episodes downloaded right to your listening device without having to do any work. But uh, the ratings, the reviews, that would help me out immensely, and I'd love you forever. Or, you know what? I'd offer you a hearty handshake the next time I saw you. We're back here next week with a brand new episode. Facebook is the only place to catch previews of the episodes before they go live. Those go on Monday. So J-O-A-T pod on Facebook. We will see you back here next week for episode 97. And until then, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny.